Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Over the last few weeks, students from the university or in the first year have been visiting different churches and looking for a church family to call home. Now, that's a process that you only go through at certain times in your life, perhaps a new move area or something like that. But I wonder what kind of things would be on your list when you are looking for a good church, for a gospel church. Will you be looking for a saved community of Christians, of people who know the Lord Jesus by faith, through grace in the Lord Jesus, somebody who's done on the cross? You'd be looking for a church that has faithful Bible teaching because you want to be built up in the word and in God's truth. You'd be looking for opportunities to serve. Uh, That's an important part of what it means to be a part of the church, and we've been speaking about that over recent weeks. But alongside all those important things, perhaps something that is sometimes missed from that list is we should be looking for a community, a church, that loves one another. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That second part of that verse is so striking because Jesus is saying there that love for one another is critical because it's one of the ways in which we see that a church is made up of true believers. It's one of the ways in which a changed heart that has received the love of God in Jesus Christ then responds to that love personally and then gives out that love to one another. So it is critical, it is vital, and that is why as we come to the end of our series in our church covenant, we're working through this document for about the last two months as we've looked at different parts of Scripture that have come together as we brought together in this, this covenant that members commit to at Emmanuel. As we come to 
the final week, we come to this crucial subject of loving one another. Now, we come to it recognizing that, that last week we looked at Jesus' teaching, where we saw the two greatest commandments were, first of all, to love God, and then secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's why, as we think about loving others, we read in our service from Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10, which helpfully breaks down what it looks like uh, to love others. As we read, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So as we think this week of loving others, we're going to think about two aspects in which we love others. And we're going to do that by thinking about the two categories that Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 points us into. It talks of doing good to all people and then particularly doing good to those who are of the family of believers. And as we think about that response to God's love shown to us in Jesus, we're going to think about how to respond to that love in showing love and doing good to all people and then to the family of believers. So let us see, as we love one another, we will do good to all people. It's the first part of Galatians 6, where we, say, where we read, Therefore, as we have opportunity, verse 10, let us do good to all people. So we're called there to desire and to act to do good to all. And that in many ways is, this, uh, is a mirror of that command to love our neighbor by doing good to them, which of course we know is a summary of the final six of the Ten Commandments, going through from Commandment 5 through to Commandment 10. But I think as we think about what that means to, to keep those commandments by loving our neighbor and doing good to them, we can forget sometimes that although most of those commandments are put in the negative, there are both negative and positive aspects to all of the commandments. They call us just not to do certain things, but also to do other things. So the eighth commandment, which is, you shall not steal, um, isn't just talking about not taking things that are not yours, but also positively respecting the property and possessions of others. In the 17th century, a group of godly Christian leaders came together and they sought to summarize all the teaching of the Bible in the form of questions and answers. And when they did that, they put together something we know today as the Westminster Larger Catechism. And it's amazing if you read through how much detail they go into about what it means, both negatively and positively, to keep God's commandments. You can find it online, it's free online. And if you went this afternoon and looked at what they say about the implication of the Eighth Commandment, what does it mean to not steal, to love my neighbor, to do good by not stealing? They say this, it means giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others. Moderation of our judgments, wills and affections concerning worldly goods and a lawful calling and diligence in it. So what are they saying? They're saying that, that obeying God's commandments, loving our neighbor, actually has very, very broad implications. 
And sometimes we can narrow them down to just uh, six or so statements in those commandments of ten, five through to ten. But actually, the implications are incredibly broad. To love our neighbor, to do good to all. But then, when we feel the breadth of that, let's not forget what we read in Galatians 6, verse 10, where that command with broad implications to do good to all was qualified as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. I think there is a danger that, that Christians can be made to feel that we have a responsibility to solve every problem in the world. And in a connected world where news spreads very quickly, we can feel overwhelmed by the multitude of needs. And that's why the qualifier there is so very important. What does it say? Do good to all as you have opportunity. So our responsibility to do good to all is, is limited to our awareness, our opportunity, and our ability to help. Because we all have limited talents, limited time, limited treasure that has been gifted to us by God to steward wisely for him. And the Lord is reminding us here that we cannot personally fix every problem in our worlds. And we're not personally responsible for every problem in our worlds. But we are responsible to respond to the needs that God brings to us and to give from the gifts that we have to help as we can. And that's exactly what Jesus taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. There the question Jesus asked was, who is my neighbor? To whom do I owe this responsibility to love my neighbor? And Jesus responded with that well-known parable where he taught that our neighbor is anyone who is in need, who is before us, where we have the opportunity to help. That's our responsibility. But of course, the place where we should feel the challenge in the words of Galatians is in that phrase that we should do good to all people. We should do good to all people. And that highlights that as we see opportunity, as it comes to us and we can help, our concern and our response should not be affected by someone's gender, ethnicity, skin color, or social status. And in our present world, this is where things are going so badly wrong. Because there is a huge problem in our world with contempt for others. Because identity politics divides people into different groups where what is common in our shared humanity is made less important than those different identifiers of gender, ethnicity, and skin color. Our world is more and more divided. And we have to be so careful that we don't absorb that. Because the image of God in every human means that we should treat all people with dignity, value, and care. And so for that reason, as we have opportunity, we are called to do good to all people. So that is our responsibility towards all people. Now let's turn and think about doing good, especially to the family of believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul comes to there in the second half of verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Then he says, second half, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
Now, what's the distinction here? Well, well, Paul is remembering that alongside that bond of our shared humanity, which is there towards all people, for those who have faith in Christ, we are joined together through union in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that union, God creates something amazing. He creates a new family. He creates a new household. He creates a body of God's people. And that bond in Christ that we have through faith in Christ means that our duty to do good to one another as believers is even greater than our duty to do good to all. Paul picks that up in his language in verse 10, where he says, especially to the family of believers, especially to God's people, because there is that connection in Christ through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that same distinction between doing good to all, but especially to God's people, in Christ's command that we looked at right at the beginning in John 13, verse 34, where Jesus said, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, when you hear that, you should ask the question, what is new about that command? What's different about it? Well, the difference is that the standard of love changes when we think about the body of believers. In the golden rule that was telling us how to relate to all people, we read, love your neighbor as yourself. So we love our neighbors as ourselves. We do to others as we would have done to us. But here do you notice that Christ raises the standard. In the same way, there's that especially there in Galatians 6 verse 10. Here we have Christ saying that when you are thinking of God's family, we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. The bar raises for the household of God. And Christ's love for us is greater than our love for ourselves. And that creates a higher standard for our love for one another in the church. So we have that special love that we need to have towards God's people. We have that special concern for one another. We care for all people, but especially for those who belong to the family of believers. And now what I want us to do is having seen that distinction, that special love that we have for the family of believers, we want to think about three ways in which our church covenant calls us to show that love in the church family. And the first is this, that we share together in joys, sorrows, and needs. We've been mostly there in Galatians 6. We're going to be jumping around lots of verses. They'll all be on the screen. And as we think about sharing in joys and sorrows and needs as an expression of that family love, perhaps we might remember especially Romans 12, verse 15, that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So we share in joys together. Now, what's challenging there in what Paul says in Romans 12 is that we are not just to be happy for others when they know God's blessing. We are to genuinely rejoice with them when they know God's blessing. Now, there are times when this can be easy, perhaps because we have received that same blessing as well. But the times when it is especially hard, and I know it's hard, 
is when the Lord blesses others with good things that he has chosen at this time not to give to you. And that's when it's so hard, isn't it? But we need to watch our hearts at those times. And one thing that will help us to do that is to remember that our good God is free to give gifts according to his own wisdom and purposes. And that when we lack a good thing that perhaps others have received, that is never a statement of our value to God. Our hearts often equate gifts and blessings with a statement of our value in the eyes of God. But that is not God's formula. That is not how God sees things. God is free to bless us, and he says that he loves us in Christ. And so blessings and gifts are not a statement of our value. So we share in joys as we remember that. But we also share in our sorrows. We're not to be detached or aloof, but to genuinely feel the sorrows of others because we are part of God's family together. This is in lots of ways generally easier to do since we're rightly moved by the needs of others. And so perhaps a challenge here comes in our willingness to share about our sorrows with others. If it's hard to rejoice when we hear of something joyful in someone else's life, as we think about sharing sorrows, perhaps the thing that's hardest for us to do is to share our sorrows so that others might bear those burdens with us. But our brothers and sisters cannot join in weeping if they don't know the sorrows of our lives. And perhaps you might think, well, others are facing harder things than I am. And that might be true. But Paul does not say, only share the hardest of sorrows. He says, share sorrows. And we might say, well, I don't want to burden others with my troubles. But if we do that, we're not allowing others to bear our burdens with us. So sharing in sorrows calls us to be open about our burdens with one another. So we share in joys, we share in sorrows, and we help each other in need. 1 John 3, verse 17 is especially challenging where it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, I feel the challenge of this last clause... How can the love of God be in that person? A marker of God's love being in us is our response, as we have opportunity, to other brothers and sisters in material need. And one of the things that um, came out of our discussion at the members' meeting about how to steward the operating surplus was, was this good idea of setting up a benevolence fund to help with the cost of living crisis within the church family. And, and Dave Skidmore was able to share more about that at our church meeting yesterday. But someone has rightly pointed out that in setting up a fund like that, that does not mean that our duty towards other brothers and sisters is done. We mustn't think that because there is a fund, then that's, that's done. That's not right, is it, friends? Because it says here that we are to respond to the needs of others according to our abilities as we 
see them. So we love one another as we share. We love one another as we share in joys, as we share in sorrows, and as we help in needs. That's the first area. But then there's a second area that comes out in the church covenant, which speaks of watching over one another in love. Now here we're going to jump back to Galatians 6 verse 1, which reads, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now that verse, along with many others in the New Testament, teaches a shared responsibility to watch over one another, because we're a family, because we're God's household, because we're a body together. And so if another Christian is caught in sin, we are called to help them. And we do that as an expression of our love for them. You know, we've been taught by our culture to think that love means that I always encourage others to express themselves and fulfill whatever their desires might be. So our culture and our world says a loving thing is to encourage someone to do whatever they want to do. Now that would be true if all human desires were good. But they're not, are they? And if all we were wanting to do was express ourselves in doing a good thing, then that would be fine. But God tells us our desires are not all good that we want things we shouldn't want, and that sin has affected our hearts so deeply that our desires are warped. And so we must reject what we hear in our world that says it is, not, it is a loving thing to affirm someone or whatever they do. And we must instead say it is a loving thing to gently and lovingly challenge someone in what they're doing when it's wrong. That's love. Galatians 6 verse 1 tells us we start by doing that personally. Now let's be really clear that this verse is not a call to hunt for sin in each other's lives. Because we know that every Christian will struggle with sin in different ways. Notice Paul's language in 6 verse 1. He says, if someone is caught in a sin. The picture there is of someone who is in ongoing unrepentant sin so that they're caught by it and not seeking with the Spirit's help to break free. And we're called to, to, that's the kind of situation that's being spoken of here. And notice also Galatians 6.1 describes our manner in doing so. We should do it gently. Now, why should we do it gently? Because we love them. And we know that but for the grace of God, we'd be caught in the same thing. But what happens then when a personal approach, one-to-one, doesn't bring restoration? When someone doesn't turn from the sin that they're caught in? Well, that's where we turn to Matthew 18, as we see what it means to love one another by watching over each other. Because Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17 reads, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That's Galatians 6 verse 1. But if they will not listen, 
take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, these verses explain the pattern for church discipline. That's what we're speaking about here as we talk about watching watching over one another in love. And there have been times when those verses have been horribly misused. But the principle is one that Jesus commands us to follow. And the abuse of a principle doesn't mean that the teaching of God's word is wrong. And there Jesus tells us that if a personal approach doesn't work, then we should go and bring another Christian with us. And again, gently seek to challenge them about the sin that they're caught in. And if that shared approach doesn't work, then we should bring the situation to the church. And then if there is still no repentance, then someone should be removed from the membership of the church. And that means what we're saying is, as a church family, we are so concerned about that ongoing, persistent, unrepentance in their life, that we're so concerned that's happening that we're not really sure that they're a believer. That's the, the challenging thing that's being said. And I just want us to see that this is a very, very serious thing for our church family to say to us. Our brothers and sisters who we know love us to say collectively to us that that we're worried about this for us. It's not administrative. (laughs) It's not that kind of thing. It's here with a goal of love, of helping the person to stop and to think, should I really be doing this? Continuing in sin in this way. Now, I want to be clear about a number of really important things here. First of all, when we think about sin, we must define sin according to the Scriptures. So we're not talking about the views of any person. We're talking about what God's Word clearly says is sin. And the kind of sin we're thinking of is persistent, unrepentant sin, caught in sin in that sense. Also, it's really important to be clear that this process of church discipline involves the membership of the church because, in God's wisdom, that protects against leaders abusing that process. And so, careful, some careful sharing of detail with the membership is right because it protects us all against that process being abused. And the key thing for us to see in all this is that the heart motive behind it is one of love. It is because we love each other that we watch over one another. Because to be caught in sin is a terrible thing. And if someone continues in persistent, unrepentant sin, that may indicate they don't know the Lord. And so that sad step of removing someone from membership is done with that goal of bringing about repentance and restoration. Watching over one another in love. If you have questions about that, I've only been saying say a, a few things now. Please do come and ask. We'll be looking at that subject in more detail in a few weeks' time in our evening series as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But come and ask if you have questions. 
So we're, we've seen that we watch, that we love one another as we share in joys and sorrows and needs. We've seen that we watch over one, we love one another by watching over one another in our lives together. And then finally, we show this love for one another as we pursue peace and unity with humility. Here we're looking at the third part of that end aspect of the church covenant, which is this spirit of seeking reconciliation and forgiveness when our fellowship is broken with another believer. We are to pursue peace and unity together. That's because of what we read in in Ephesians 5, verse 32, that says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. So what is this speaking about here? Well, this is speaking about situations where we have a fracture in our fellowship with another Christian. Where they do something or we do something, and it's serious and significant, and there's a break in fellowship in that sense. Now, what should we do in that situation? Well, if we're honest, we put our hands on our hearts, most of us would rather avoid those situations and just move on. But leaving them doesn't help. At home in our cupboards, we have a set of dark blue pasta bowls. They come out on a Sunday night when we have our Sunday evening pasta after evening service. And they were wedding gifts that were given by friends over 18 years ago. Now, when we got those bowls, they were beautiful. And now they're not quite as nice as they were. They've been used, they've been washed, they've been dropped, they've been put back in cupboards, and over time, every bowl has got cracks in them. Now, we know that eventually those cracks will get so bad that the bowls will break, and we won't be able to use them again. And as we live together as God's people, as a family of sinners we know that that will create cracks in our fellowship together. Because I'll do things wrong, and you'll do things wrong, and that will affect our unity and our peace together. Cracks are like the cracks in the pasta bowls. And when we leave things like that, they don't just heal over time, they get worse. But unlike those cracks in those pasta bowls, God's word teaches us how to address those breaks in fellowship together, where we offend another Christian and we do something wrong. And scripture teaches us that if we have a break in fellowship, we have two choices. We can either overlook it and choose to forgive without a conversation, and that's a good and godly thing to do, or we can speak to someone about it We can explain the wrong on both sides, and then we can forgive and reconcile. And we have to do one of those things. Either choose to forgive actively and overlook, or have a conversation, forgive and reconcile. But what we cannot do is leave it and let it store up. Because when we do that, that's how bitterness builds. I think one of the greatest challenges sometimes as a church family is to have the love to pursue 
peace and unity by dealing with those cracks and not letting them build up. Can I encourage you to do that? Jesus says, what does he say? Blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to pursue peace. But then finally, we're called to pursue unity by meeting together. This is a fine thing. That there in the membership covenant, we have a link between meeting together as a way of building up our unity as the Lord's people. There in the covenant, it says this. We commit to meet together regularly for prayer, worship, and the Lord's Supper, praying for one another, encouraging and teaching and admonishing one another so that we grow together to maturity in Christ. What we're being reminded of there is that our physical meetings together protect our unity because physical presence creates, builds, and strengthens our connections. There are sometimes seasons in in married life where a couple need to live apart for work or for whatever else. And that can happen for a season, but we know that no marriage will survive that long term because you need to be together. And that's true for a church family as we're joined together in the Lord Jesus. Now, we're thankful that we can offer a live stream for our Sunday services We're thankful we can do that because there are some people who cannot gather physically with the Lord's people. But we just want to say at this moment that 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 is there in situations of necessity, not for situations where it's a convenience. Because we need to meet together to build each other up. And I know how easy it is to fall into this problem, to to see that the opportunity to follow the live stream is there and to treat it for convenience rather than necessity. I've done it. I remember when we were on holiday in Cornwall in the summer of 2020, we had the possibility of streaming the service we would normally have attended in Penzance. And it was an attractive convenience. So on the first Sunday of our holiday, we went in person to the service in Penzance. But on the second week, I had planned a family cycle ride in the afternoon. And the church was over there, and my route was over here. And it was harder to get there. It was in the opposite direction. I even reasoned in my mind that it would be harder to park if we arrived later. And so then, instead of going in person, we drove first thing in the morning to the start point for our ride, and we watched the service in the car. But the Lord challenged me about that because in doing that, I prioritized the wrong things, hadn't I? I'd chosen convenience when we could have attended in person. Friends, can I encourage you to gather physically whenever you can? We're especially reminded in God's word of that, aren't we, as we come together for the Lord's Supper. Because there as we partake of the one bread and the one Um, the one bread, that one loaf, and the one cup in sharing in the common uh, juice in that sense, we get that powerful, visible reminder of our unity as the Lord's people. There's no different categories. There is one, because we're one in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul reminds us, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in that one loaf. 
let's not forget Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So can I make a plea to prioritize the regular meetings of the church? To prioritize Sunday morning worship? To prioritize Sunday evening worship? to prioritize Wednesday evenings, the prayer meetings and the home groups. There are many other good things that happen in the life of the church and no one can attend everything. So please prioritize those main meetings. And we do that because in a world that is so individualized and personalized, in a world that shuns responsibility for self and let alone responsibility for others, God calls us to something different. He has made us a family of his people. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that creates duties towards one another. Let us share in joys and sorrows and in need. Let us watch over one another in our walk with the Lord. We need each other for that. And let us pursue peace and unity with humility so that we all, as the Lord's people, might grow into maturity in Christ and so bring God the praise and honor that is due to his name. Father God, we want to praise you and bless you for your great wisdom. Your great wisdom in not just leaving us on our own, but according to to your work in Christ, joining us together in a family of your people. How grateful we are that we are not to be islands as Christians, but rather we are to be interconnected. We are to be interdependent as your people. And Father, as we've thought of all that means over the last few months, we want to thank you for each other as a church family. We thank you for the love. We thank you for the gifts and the graces. We thank you for each other and all that we mean to one another. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to continue to show that love to one another, especially to the family of God's people. Father, that is hard at times. Our our hearts are sinful. We're not easy to love. But as we feel that, Lord, would you remind us afresh of your love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord God, you loved us when we were sinners. You loved us when we were rebels. You love us, though we sin each day. And as we gaze upon that love to us, may that melt any hardness in our hearts. And may that bring great warmth towards one another in our church family. So we thank you for each other. And we pray that we might have that commitment to care, to share, and to grow together in in Christ-like maturity. Help us, we ask. We need your Spirit's help. And glorify your name in our midst. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen.